0: This is episode 70 of the 99 forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen and joining me tonight to recap the Edmonton Oilers series clinching victory over the Los Angeles Kings in game six and preview their second round matchup against the Vegas Golden Knights are the co-hosts of straight off the pipe with Dash and Durst Mike Dashney and Mike Durst. guys, how are we doing tonight? Doing
1: well. Excited about tomorrow. Yeah, doing great.
0: That's great to hear. Finally, after having you guys both on the show multiple times, though I get you on for the same episode. We paid we charge double for that. <laughs> well, I'm expecting pretty good ratings then. <laughs> no guarantees. <laughs> it
1: depends uh, if Darcy and I get in a fight or not. That's generally what dictates our ratings.
0: Okay, well, hopefully I won't have too many leading questions that'll take you down that path. But <laughs> uh, before we break down uh, game six in LA, I'd just like to go back to the Oilers two thousand and six cup run because yesterday was the seventeenth anniversary of the Oilers pulling off one of the biggest upsets in NHL history when they eliminated the president's <laughs> trophy winning Detroit Red Wings in six games. And of course, Alish Hemsky was the hero in game six, scoring the game tying and series winning goals in the third period. I first just want to ask either of you, did, did you have a chance to attend any games during that playoff run? And do you remember where you were or what the celebration was like when Hemsky scored that goal with just over a minute left on the clock? Uh, Dursa, you can kick us off tonight.
2: Yeah. Um, at that time, I had a six-year-old and a four-year-old son, and we played mini sticks in the living room and, and uh, had the game on at the same time.
0: And uh, Dash, uh, were you at uh, Rexall Place for any playoff games in 2006? And uh, what what are your memories of that uh, Hemsky goal?
1: This podcast is going to be a while, if that's the case. Uh, I definitely, I think I told this story on one of your podcasts, to be honest, Eric. But um, it entered my name into a lottery back in that time to see if I could get playoff tickets. It was my first year. I had just moved to Edmonton that August. So it was my first opportunity to kind of take a stab at any type of, and I entered my name for the playoff lottery. Of course, we're in a decade of darkness, so the demand wasn't there like it is today, but my name was the second name drawn. So I had red line seats at Rexall, and I, uh, for the most case, sold those games to be able to still afford to go and pay off my debt for buying them in the first place. But I only missed two games in that run. um, And one of them, uh, unfortunately, was game six because uh I had a work commitment in Kelowna. But my family there is diehard Oilers fans. So we watched it on that couch. So I remember exactly where I was. I remember the address. I remember the couch I was sitting on. <laughs> but more um vividly I, I remember a lot of things from that playoff run. Uh potentially the most memorable being after the San Jose victory, me still holding my uh whoop Whoopde-doo sign and uh, being carried on a table like a picnic table, like a chariot outside of Rexall place.
0: <laughs> I stood uh, on the it,
1: table so everybody could see. And then a bunch of people just picked the table up and started walking with it. It was, it was pretty epic.
0: It's too bad that uh, social media wasn't bigger than we, we oh. would have got some great videos or pictures out of that.
1: That would have went viral.
0: <laughs> and then what you headed across the street to the, the uh, Coliseum Inn lounge.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure that <laughs> the chariot made it that far, but. No. Uh, <laughs> but it was probably off to the LRT and to chant until our lungs couldn't anymore.
0: Oh, that's great. And, uh, uh Mike, have you ever, uh, been to a, an Oilers playoff game or sorry, Durst, I should say, cause you're both named Mike.
2: So the last Oilers playoff game I went to my son, who's now 23 was just under a year old and the others were playing the stars. And, uh, we spent all day making a sign that said Madano, welcome to Chaos because he he had an article saying it was gonna be Chaos in Edmonton, uh for the playoff game. So that's the last playoff game i I'd been to. Um yeah, I've been to uh probably about a dozen dozen or so playoff playoff games in my uh existence, I guess.
0: Nice. So that would have been late 90s when they were going up against the Stars every year in the playoffs.
2: <laughs> well, this this one I think was in 2001 cuz my oldest son is 23 and he was born in 2000, so I think it was probably around April of 2001. He yeah. wasn't quite a year old, but uh pretty close.
0: Well, yeah, 6 out of 7 years between 97 and 03 they met in the playoffs. So be- uh, I I mean, who knows we we could be seeing uh for the first time in 20 years Edmonton and Dallas meeting this year again.
2: Yeah, it sort of has that feeling. Um, before then, the, the the last game before that was against Dallas too. And I remember I was in standing room only, and I believe it was game six in Edmonton. And by the end of the second period, I couldn't drink beer anymore because I couldn't stand. <laughs> and I think that game was the one that went into multiple overtimes. And I think it was Bookburger scored scored to, to win it. And then we went to Dallas for game seven. And I think that's the one where Todd Marchand finally scored on a breakaway.
0: Yeah. It was just uh, the anniversary of that goal the other night too. I think it was actually the night that, uh, Edmonton wrapped up the series against LA was the 26th anniversary.
2: Yeah. So I, I've kind of seen the Oilers Dallas, uh, you know, a few times I was at the game too, where Theo Fleury did his shit on the ice, uh, <laughs> when we lost and then Esetica and, then. uh, Returned the favor in Calgary in game seven of that series too. So. Yeah, seen, for sure. I've seen some heartaches and some uh, big victories and yeah, lots of fun.
0: Well, hopefully we're going to have a lot more great memories to come this spring. And uh, let's get into game six now. And the Oilers came into this game with a 3-2 series lead and were looking to close it out on the road. Connor McDavid opened the scoring less than two minutes into the game. Leon Draisaitl tallied his league-leading seventh goal of the playoffs. And Klim Kostin buried a pair for Edmonton, who held 3-1 and 4-3 leads in the second period. However, the Kings got a gift when Skinner tried to play the puck and gave it right to Philip Deneau, who put it in the net for a shorthanded goal to tie the game 4-4. But then with less than or just over three minutes left on the clock, Tyler Yamamoto scored the series deciding goal to lift the Oilers to a 5-4 win at Crypto.com Arena on Saturday night. And with the victory, the Oilers advanced to the second round of the playoffs in consecutive years for the first time since 1997 and 98. They also extended their unbeaten streak in regulation to a franchise record 21 games. Uh, Dash, Yamamoto couldn't have picked a better time to score the biggest goal of his career, could he? Oh.
1: No doubt about it. No, I mean, simple answer, no.
0: Uh, Could you just, like, go into it, looking back at that game, um, I mean, what can you say about it after kind of struggling through the series to finally have that breakthrough moment?
1: He certainly um, had his contributions to the games. You know, I know there was a demotion and started playing lower minutes and and on a lower line. So, you know, it's it's just nice to see that, you know, if he was going to come through and get off the schneid, that it's the most important goal of the series and the series clinching goal. Um, you know, to to be able to contribute the way Yamamoto does on a regular basis, whether it's generating the cycle, digging pucks out of the corners, uh, just having an active stick and creating chaos, you know, to use Dursa's kid's term there. It's... Um, Nice to have it pay off on the score sheet because I don't think he gets enough credit for what he does in the game. And so to be able to get you know a score sheet he can frame and put on his wall is is a great reward.
0: And of course he had that twenty goal season last year, and then due to some injuries he he didn't have the year that he would have liked to this past season. Um, but I think that after after sort of struggling through a large chunk to finally, you know, have that, that signature goal in his career where he uh, played a part in such a big victory, it just, that, that has to be one that uh, he'll remember forever.
1: No doubt. I mean, and you know, the injury struggles were a part of the season um, in writing that story. I believe, you know, there was a concussion suffered early and, You know, I like Woodcroft keeps his lips tight when it comes to those types of things. But I think we all saw the signs of him struggling through that for a lot of the season. Um, You know, whether that's still happening and this was just a timely goal at a timely time or if it was, uh, you know, him getting through it and seeing through the fog. Let's hope it's the latter.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially you think back to that run he had three years ago where he put up 26 points in 27 games after getting recalled from Bakersfield. Uh, you'd love to think that he'll get back to that point at some some time in his career. And I, I think that this is probably the most impactful moment he's had with the Oilers since that uh, since that run, obviously. Uh, Dursa, Yamamoto didn't have a point through the first five games of the series, but he picked up an assist on Klim Kostin's second goal of the night and then scored one of Edmonton's biggest playoff goals in recent memory. What can you say about his performance in Game 6?
2: Better late than never. <laughs> um i think like a lot of credit and it and i think it gets lost because people just love to dog the guy but uh i think a lot of credit for the goal needs to go to darnell nurse for a real confident uh zone exit and zone entry and uh a pretty world-class deke he made um and feathered a pass across that probably should have ended it there but uh it didn't, and the Oilers kind of held the zone, and and that gave kind of Yamamoto his opportunity to uh, to make that shot that he put just underneath the bar on the on the left corner there, um, beating Corpasalo and and you know, ended up deciding the game. But uh, Nurse did a lot of lot of heavy lifting on that whole that whole sequence, and and um, showed a lot of you know confidence on that whole play. So um, you know uh, Yamamoto for most people it was the first star on the night, but uh, there was another guy that really contributed to that whole sequence.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I think uh, Yamamoto also deserves, uh, deserves credit for uh, last year too. If you remember, he's the one who chipped the puck into open ice and let McDavid just sort of skate into it, uh, which ultimately led to the insurance marker in game seven at Rogers place. And uh, that's two years in a row now where he's played a, played a part in the the closing out of uh the divisional rivals in the in the first round. Um, sticking with uh, secondary scoring options, though, Clem Costin was also excellent in Game Six. He finished the night with two goals, three points, and a plus three rating in just eight minutes and forty four seconds of ice time. Uh, Dursa Costin appeared to regain his offensive confidence from earlier in the season during the series. But did you think it was just a matter of time for him to start scoring again? And do you expect that head coach Jay Woodcroft will find him more ice time going forward?
2: It's almost like you listened to Michael's show because uh, he kind of asked us who our X-Factors uh, were going to be. Well, I did
0: attach some in, of that.
2: <laughs> in this Vegas series. And uh, I, I went with Clem Costin. It's it's almost like he's uh, unlocked a, a new skill. You know, if you're playing video games, um, you add something to your repertoire where I think he's really found the ability to put pucks through D-Man's uh, feet and, and use them as screens. and um he possesses almost like an Ant, Anton uh, Schleppischlev kind of wrister and, and snapshot, uh, real hard, real elite, uh, a lot of pace on it and deceptive. Um, so, yeah, I I think he's found something else that he kind of added to his repertoire. And, you know, he plays a physical brand of hockey. Um He's not shy whatsoever, and he adds a a dimension to that bottom six that uh, makes us a tougher team to play against. And uh, over the course of, you know, multiple rounds, I think that kind of uh, guy can pay dividends for you.
0: Yeah, for sure. Anytime you have a bottom six forward who can beat goalies from distance, that's such a valuable asset and aside from all the other physical elements he brings. But how how does Woodcroft find him more ice time? Do you just see him getting elevated in the lineup? Does he just need to roll four lines more consistency uh consistently going forward?
2: I mean, he's effective right now playing limited minutes, so um yeah, I guess you'd like to find a guy that can uh, you know, contribute like he does a little bit more ice time um i think when you go 11 and 7 and you have you know the ability to put him out there with connor or leon um he certainly won't hurt you so i think staying with 11 and 7 probably gives him the best opportunity to get the most ice time that you you know he's going to see um might be a little bit streaky hot and cold but even when he's cold i mean he's he's finishing checks and he's and he's a force so trying to up his minutes probably closer to 10 a night would, would be a little bit better.
0: And I think he did get over uh, 10 minutes a couple times in the series, but going back to game five, I think he only played like three minutes and change. So you'd like to see him probably closer to double digits. And uh, Dash, did you think Coston would eventually rediscover his scoring touch? And where do you think Woodcroft can find him more minutes in the lineup, or if he even should?
1: Like I would, you know, I'm not saying I had clean cost and on my bingo card for two goals in the deciding game and as many as he scored in the limited time he's played. So it's been a bit of a surprise. Um, how do you get him more time? Uh, yeah, I think it depends whether they can go 11 and six or 12, and uh, sorry, 11 and seven or 12 and six. And, you know, if the health of Jan Mark is good, I can't imagine they're keeping him out of the lineup. Therefore, Broberg comes out, in which case now you've got your twelve forwards. You roll four lines, um, but if it's eleven and seven, they're going to find them opportunities in different ways. And that's you know slipping Mc, McDrysital or McDavid down to the fourth line and giving those guys some opportunity. Then you can see the limited times they did that with Drysital. The Ryan Kostin Drysital connection hit at least two or three times that series.
0: Yeah, for sure, and and maybe this is just the right amount of ice time for him to keep him in sort of that eight to 12 minute range. And because he, because he seems to be very effective in that amount of ice time, but I I still think when a guy's rolling like that and and he's starting to build some confidence, you'd like to get him out there a little more often. I, I believe he played 15 shifts in game six. So, you know, it's like you said, if you can get him a, Uh, out there and have a look with uh, next to Leon or Connor that can just only do wonders for him because the guy can really shoot the puck. And when he can have an elite distributor, like one of those guys setting him up in the slot, it's just going to increase his likelihood of success. Uh, All right, let's go back to uh, Skinner's miscue early in the third period when he unknowingly played the puck with a broken stick, which unfortunately the Kings capitalized on. However, Skinner locked it down from there before Yamamoto ultimately gave the Oilers the lead for good in the final frame. Dash, what can you say about the resiliency the Oilers showed, not just in Game 6, but throughout this series? I think it
1: starts and ends with Stuart Skinner, to be honest. Um, You know, it, it wasn't the prettiest of performances over that amount of games, but he showed composure. He was calm, like for a rookie goaltender in an NHL playoff and to be tying Grant Fears' records going in. And, you know, that that's a lot of pressure. And he's handled it as well as you can. So uh, ultimately, I kind of think, come you know, it, it lives and dies through, through Skinner.
0: But when you look at this team, they've been a consistent playoff team for four years in a row. They finished second place in the division in each of those years. Is it fair to say that the maturity of this group is greater than in past years, even when they were still close to the top of the division over the, the previous three seasons, where when they get down in a game or they let up a back, let in a backbreaking goal like that, that they're able to recover and just stay with it.
1: Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. And I think yeah, Cole becomes the icing on the cake in those scenarios. But this entire season, the Oilers have showed a, a more formidable resilience than any other season. I I feel like they've had more backbone, they've had more ability to come back, they've had more pushback, um, showing all the different ways that you can come back in a hockey game and and not look, you know, panicked or not ever ever be in fear that you've you know don't have the firepower to come back and win one of these. I do believe that it 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 starts and begins with Skinner he's he's honestly been the biggest difference in our team in the years past versus this season and
0: Skinner's this is a rookie difference. goalie we're talking about i mean just mature beyond his years in those situations where even after letting in a goal that you know could have cost his team that he, not just him yeah. but the entire the entire team settles down and just goes right back to work
1: yeah, and that's not taking anything away from Bukestad and Eckholm and the trade deadline acquisitions. I do feel like they've helped settle the ship, and that experience has helped plug us through a couple of games. But for Skinner to go through an ex- experience like that, where you – like that, it just reeked of Marc-Andre Fleury in the World Junior Championships. You know, yeah. just putting the puck right on the other team's stick in the slot with nobody else around, and boom. Um I remember that
0: happened in New Jersey back in November too, where he misplayed a puck and it ended up in his net. And then I think it happened again in Boston in March. So it's not the first time that he's had one of these situations where he's turned over the puck that led to a goal against, but uh, you know, it's hard to fault the guy too much when he's been so important for this team all season long. And and the fact that he was able to just shake it off and, and get right back in there. I think that's a, a real positive sign going forward.
1: Well, then let's not forget that Mike Smith was quite famous for these as well, and maybe not as gregacious as the Marc-Andre Fleury or Skinner of, of the last, but ultimately, look at how they handle that. You know, Smith goes on to the rest of the game and starts screaming at rookie defensemen and telling people where they should be on the ice, and, you know, and Skinner just went, oh, I just might have gave up a pivotal series momentum-changing goal that, if they don't come back and my team doesn't come back and win this, we might lose the series and everybody will blame me. And he just went, oh, yeah, well, shit happens."
0: <laughs> and uh, Dursa, how impressed were you with the Oilers' resiliency against the Kings in round one, uh, specifically Game Six uh, after that uh, tough one to give up shorthanded?
2: I, I mean, there was adversity throughout the series. Um, you know, the Oilers were a little bit undisciplined in the early games, and they and they sorted that out. Oh, um, with with the Skinner thing, I mean, I was pissed at first. I'm like, why why didn't you go the other way? Why do, why are you trying to go against the grain? Well, he said afterwards he was trying to actually rifle it up to Bouchard, um, but he couldn't rifle it because his gun was broken. Like, you know, that stick severed in half. I mean, that's that's gonna affect your your puck moving ability. What surprises <laughs> me is that he didn't notice earlier. Like. I think somebody's skate probably had a step on it or something for, I think for
0: they that. showed the replay at Kempe slashed it.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, and
0: that it, broke it.
2: Yeah. So it's surprising that he didn't notice, but I mean, those sticks are so light anyways, that it just, yeah, whatever it's, it, I, I'm impressed at his ability to put it behind him and that the moment didn't get too big. Um, And, and he, he dialed in his game right, right afterwards and, and you know, gave him that chance to, to go and, get the get the goal that put the nail in the coffin uh, you know against the kings um he's 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 it's funny he broke grant's ref- record you know as a rookie because there's similarities not so much in their style of play but just their demeanor they're they were both calm guys and oh you know it's not your fault. It's mine. And the total opposite of Mike Smith when it comes to that and really like the total opposite in, in the puck play. Yeah. He goes behind the net. He stops the puck, but he's not looking to make that heroic, you know, play to the far blue line to spring McDavid for a breakaway. That's not what he's doing. He, he's going to just stop his defenseman from getting pounded, making the simple play and and not trying to make it about him. Just, just doing his job and, you know Mike Smith was a puck handler, but it was it was almost like once a month there was there was a gaff like what Stewart had in, in Game Six. It was a regular occurrence, and it it hasn't been a regular occurrence for Stu. He's been very good at playing the puck and and just more calm and you know what you're gonna get every night. That's yeah.
1: Remember how cool it was when Mike Smith passed the puck up to
0: Connor McDavid for a break <laughs> in San Jose. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's there's benefits to having a fiery competitor like uh, Smith, too. He was uh, apparently a a locker room leader, which you don't often get from a goaltender. A lot of times they'll keep to themselves and just be sort of focused on uh, stopping the puck. But I, I don't know. I mean. The the WWE style entrance he had coming back from the quiet room in the playoffs <laughs> against the Flames last year was pretty legendary too. But uh, maybe having the steady hand like uh, Stuart Skinner between the pipes is a is a good thing as well. And there's obviously like you said connections to Grant Fuhr uh, in terms of like both being local guys and uh, the calm demeanor. So yeah, I, I can only hope that uh, Skinner will have half the success that uh, Grant Fuhrer had <laughs> in, in his career. Start maybe starting with a ring this year.
2: Well said, brother.
0: Um d I,
2: I, I don't think you'll ever get an admission from anybody on the team, but I, I think, you know, when you have a goalie that starts to harp on on the players and especially his defensemen, I think yeah. sometimes that leadership that they want to give him all this credit for kind of gets lost in the shuffle because you start to tune it out. Um
0: That yeah. was a that was not Smith's you know, most shining moment, uh, I, I believe that happened in February in a game against Tampa, when, where Dash referenced that he was sort of staring down. I think it was Marcus Niemelainen after uh, a stamp and post Broberg, one time. And
1: Groberg in a same yeah. game.
0: But then again, I have too much of, uh, I don't have, how, how much should I put this? I, I have a hard time blaming Smith too much because he went on a 9-0 and run in April later that season so obviously he was able to turn it around but yeah maybe maybe the handling of of young defensemen could have been better but just overall I, I think that uh, Smith despite some uh, less than shining moments was a uh, pretty solid for the Oilers during his three years with the team and uh, just to finish up on round one uh, I think we have to talk about the outstanding series that Leon Draisaitl had And even though game six wasn't his most dominant outing in the series, he still scored a power play goal. And with that goal, he became the third fastest player in NHL history to record 70 career playoff points um, behind only Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. So uh, it just shows you the the class he's in, in terms of uh, being able to reach that milestone. He also has 43 points in his last four playoff series. Uh, Dursa, is this is Drysaddle right now the best playoff performer in the NHL? Well,
2: we have two games uh, to catch Matthew Kachuk because uh, he's on a tear too. Um, but I mean, Leon last season, I mean, on one leg, what he was doing, I mean, it's just to quote Leon, I mean, it's fucking phenomenal. It, it the guy, the guy is a truck when it comes to you know, performing in the playoffs, he just pulls pulls the team along like he's pulling a locomotive. Um it, It's 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 crazy what what the guy can do, and I, I think he'll leapfrog Matthew in in the next two games here. You know, when we're, when he's at eight games instead of six, uh, yeah, the next two games he'll put up some points too. So I think he'll surpass Kachuk. Um I mean, in this era, I think he is. Uh, one of the ultimate playoff performers, you know, of this time right now.
0: For sure. And Dash, where would you rank Sidal among the top playoff performers in the league? Not just specifically in what we've seen over the past two weeks, but just overall in the league right now.
1: I'm not going to disrespect anything Dreisaitl's done. And you have you know, points per game statistics that second only to the great one. You know, yeah,
0: he's second all time in playoff points per game average. Yeah.
1: 99 Forever podcast. So, all, all hailed a great one. And ultimately, when you're second to that guy, you're pretty damn good. Um, however, I'll maybe take the controversial side of this one or the counterpoint, but I can't call anybody the best playoff performer in hockey that doesn't have a Stanley Cup. That's fair. So. If I'm going to go and start to look at active players in the NHL that are the best playoff performers, my caveat is they may not be in their prime, but I'm not going to take anything away from Drew Doughty or Anze Kopitar, uh, you know, who are some of the guys that have won three cups that are still in the league. Kucherov, Stamkos, Vasilevsky. In fact, I'd probably put my vote on Vasilevsky being the best playoff performer in hockey right now.
0: Yeah, his, and as his a, a goaltender too
1: well wow. and his record in you know elimination games is and game sevens and games when their back was up against the wall those are the uh, games that count and he's got the best record in the nhl in those situations um Sidney crosby genny malkin Puck.
0: yeah and i mean i think it's also worth mentioning that with dry being second all time on that list mcdavid has the fifth highest points per game average in playoff history as well and of last year 33 points in 16 games, over two points per game in the playoffs. He led the playoffs in scoring despite not reaching the final. So just that that tells you how impactful he was in the games he played. Um, but it's like you said, how how do you rate that compared to uh, someone like Kale McCarr, who won the Conn Smythe Trophy? He made it to the final and his team won. But uh McDavid was the more dominant offensive player and and his team lost. So it, it just kind of goes down to how how much do you weigh team success versus individual success in those situations?
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, both Drive and McDavid have forty three points in their last four series that they've played. Makar has thirty three points in his last five series that he's played. So mm-hmm. I mean you know, if we're going to call McCarr the second best player, or McKinnon, I think they both had 33 or 34 points respectively in their last five series. So nobody holds a candle to them as far as uh, players in their peak and their prime and that could take over a game and dominate the playoffs. Uh, they are the best playoff performers for those reasons. But if you're going to make me put a ribbon on somebody or hand over a trophy, then I, I have to stick with the guys that have done it and proven it.
0: For sure. All right, let's move on to the Oilers' second-round series against the Golden Knights. Now, this will be the first-ever playoff series between the two clubs. The Oilers went 3-0-1 in the season series against the Golden Knights, including a pair of wins on the road. And these were the top two teams in the Western Conference as well, with Vegas finishing just two points ahead of Edmonton to take the Pacific Division crown. Uh, When you look at these teams on paper, in what areas do you give the Oilers, the clear-cut advantage over the Golden Knights, and vice versa. Dash, you can go first.
1: All categories. I, I'm, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll take my rose-colored glasses off and answer that again. Nope, still same answer. All categories. It's all right. Who is top is,
0: six, is, bottom six, defense, goal-tending, power play, penalty yeah. kill? Not there's not one spot that you give the the edge to the the Golden Knights.
1: Hundred percent. Uh, and i and I stand behind it Bressois is not a better goaltender than Skinner, nor has he performed better. um I believe the defense of Vegas is very good, very formidable uh I don't think Alex Martinez or Peter Angelo are in their prime um you know, I'd say potentially our defense are our top six is without question uh untouched uh, our bottom six has been what's providing game winning goals and and five on five scoring. Our power play is 60%. Like, let me just say set, that again. Set the
0: power NHL record for uh, best. 60. Yeah. Highest success rate in a in a playoff series.
1: Right. So our penalty kill's been doing great. Um, I think we're bigger. I think we're faster. I think we're tougher. I think we've been through more resilience. I think we're a better home team. I think we're a better road team. And in the last 10 games we've played, the Knights were 8 0 2. They haven't beat us in regulation since February 26th of 2020. Eric.
0: It's incredible. And now, the game it, 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 there the wasn't one Magicals, year where they didn't play against each other, but I know what you're saying. Still an incredible oh, run.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's 2021 where we had the Canadian League, but ultimately, that, you know, it's it's untouched. It's It hasn't been close. And if you want to just keep recency biased, Um, front and foremost the last game that they played each other it was extremely important i might add for divisional standings the Oilers put up a touchdown on the Knights.
0: i mean both they had two games against the kings and two games against the golden knights late in the season and uh the oilers won three of those four games the only one they lost was the the overtime game at uh, rogers place uh where they gave up uh, a goal that uh still came away with a point but um I put out a Twitter poll the other day too, Dash, and I asked fans, "What do you, which team do you think will be the tougher opponent when we look back on these playoffs in the summer? And I think it was over 80%. Something like 81-19% to 19% said that they thought the Kings would be the tougher opponent. Do you concur with that?
1: I do. Depends who they line up in the final, but as, as far as right now, yeah, I, I do see it as the Kings. I think just statistically and stylistically, it was a It was a tough matchup for the Oilers, and the Kings proved that by being a tough home.
0: And Dursa, when you look at both sides here, everything from special teams to coaching to all positions, do you give Edmonton the across the board, uh, same as Dash, the edge in this series? Or or do you think that Vegas actually has the advantage in any area?
2: i got to totally disagree with Dash and say Vegas has a huge edge in, in arena entertainment. (laughs) and that's basically it i think uh i think maybe their twitter
0: account they 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 seem to get a lot of love for their social media too i
2: think i think skinner is a little bit more of a um positional goaltender than brussois i think brussois relies on some athleticism uh more so than positioning um and i think eventually that's going to come to haunt you if you're guessing uh, against this off offensive uh Lineup that we have uh, that's that's gonna bite you and I think Peter Angelo or Petrangelo however you want to say it <laughs> he was in St Louis was an elite defenseman I I don't think he's there anymore I think him and Eckholm are a bit of a saw off now and um, I think Bouchard has uh, elevated his game to a level that uh, makes it tough for opposing goalies to read what he's going to do, whether he's shooting the puck or, or, uh, you know, looking like he's uh, Daniel Sedin back there with the one-touch passes to McDavid. Um, You know, so I I think our D is probably just a little bit better than what theirs is. Uh, I'm not going to say it's light years ahead because I don't believe that, but uh, Vegas doesn't have the game breakers that we do. I don't think Jack Eichel is anywhere close to Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl
0: um are you surprised we haven't heard more of a Eichel versus McDavid uh matchup or do you think that because McDavid's just such a superior player that that storyline isn't even going to come into effect
2: yeah it's it's not even it's not even worth really going there anymore I mean
0: because you think about Crosby and Ovechkin they the NHL built up that rivalry for years with those two teams uh going at it and meeting in the playoffs and battling it out for scoring titles and they they were more contemporaries, whereas because McDavid is vastly better than Eichel, you just you don't get that same sort of rivalry feel going into this series, do you?
1: But it was I ten think, or fifteen years later. They still are statistically identical, Crosby and Ovechkin. Like McDavid's blowing Eichel out of the water. Does not even deserve to be in the same breath.
2: Yeah, yeah. and Sidney and and. Alex, you know, kind of liked that head-to-head matchup, and were feisty with each other, and and kind of made the rivalry work. You don't really see Eichel go after McDavid or Vice Ver. You know, not even close to the same. And and I think you know, one game in their in their head-to-head matchups where Eichel kind of got the better of of Connor after the night was over. Like it's it's not close. No. And, you know,
0: even though the Oilers' uh, depth is improved, I, I thought maybe the one spot that you could maybe point to that Vegas would have the edge would be their bottom six, especially with Mark Stone on the third line. I, I think they're really trying to divide up the talent throughout the lineup and, and make uh, some tougher matchups for Edmonton. But he's doesn't appear to be at 100% right now. And, and also... You look at how the the Oilers' bottom six has been clicking lately. I I thought that that could just be a saw-off. And and looking at the penalty kill, this is an area where I thought Vegas might actually be um, ahead of Edmonton as well. But they have the second-worst penalty kill among playoff teams at 58.3%, whereas Edmonton's power play is running at 56.3%. So our power play is almost clicking at the same level as their PK. So, I mean, if, if Vegas takes penalties in this series, it could be a very short series for them. Worth
1: noting that Vegas was the least penalized team in the entire NHL this year.
0: Yeah. And uh, we'll see if the, the refs decide to call a few more in this series uh, than they, when they let go in the, the opening round. Um, so, Uh, Due to some scheduling issues in L.A. last week and and waiting for the other series to wrap up, the Oilers have only played one game in the last seven days. And while I'm sure the extra rest time is welcomed by the players, do you think it's too much time off between games? Or does the momentum from winning three straight not really carry over to a new series? Uh, Dursa, go ahead.
2: Um, Vegas has been off the you know, playing games longer than Edmonton, so I think that that goes to advantage Edmonton.
0: And Ursa, do you like all the extra time off that the Oilers have had here, or would you have rather a quicker turnaround for round two and just get them out there right away?
2: Yeah, no, I'm I'm fine with these extra days. I think uh, it will help um, Vander Kane, and if Connor's fighting something,
0: same for you, Dasha. Uh, is is the extra time off a good thing?
2: Yeah, it's a good thing, especially when it's a
1: saw-off with Vegas, who's also been sitting just as long. I don't think momentum carries from series to series in the playoffs. I don't think it it barely carries from game to game.
0: I do think that you know, the confidence that comes from uh, getting a, a few wins in a row is big. But, you know, I've heard lots of people say that over the years, that momentum doesn't carry over from game to game. But if the Oilers are able to jump on them early, I think that will be a, a really big thing in this series because they have beat them several times already this year. And, you know, if you can just kind of get in their head that uh, it's going to be a tough one and that McDavid and Drysaddle are going to be running and gunning from right from the start, that, that can only uh, increase their odds in the series.
1: Yeah, I think there's a deflation factor there for sure. If Vegas hasn't beat the Oilers in regulation in their last 10 meetings, then we come out and put another touchdown on them in game one.
0: Yeah. And uh, Dash, you actually mentioned this a little earlier in the show, but we'll just touch on it again. Um, Matthias Yanmark is reportedly getting closer to returning to action. He was injured blocking a shot in game one against the Kings. When Yanmark is officially cleared to play, do you expect Woodcroft to stick with the 11 and 7 configuration because it's worked so well, or would, do you think they'll go back to the more traditional 12 and 6?
1: I think they stay with 11 and 7 if it's a winning lineup and Janmark's not ready. I think if Janmark's ready, he's a contributing factor and a contributing member of this team, and will immediately get a spot back in the lineup, and they would go 12 and 6 instead of 11 and 7. Um, I prefer they stayed eleven and seven, but I also want to see Janmark in this series. I think there might be some interesting dynamics with him playing his uh team.
0: Yeah, exactly. And just because uh Janmark comes in and, and probably Broberg comes out, that doesn't mean that they couldn't shake up the line still and get McDavid or Drysidel out there with the third and fourth line from time to time. But I, I think it's just easier to do when you go eleven and seven. Uh Dursa, what would you do in this situation? Um I think you got to look. <clears throat>
2: I mean, you got to take things game at a time. But I also think you have to look at um, going eleven and seven. I think all the way to the Stanley Cup final, and you know, trying to seal the deal. I think going eleven and seven for that long a haul could start to play take a toll on your forward group. Um, because you're, you know, you're, you're depleting your lineup by by one guy. So it's not much more hits and there can be a cumulative toll that goes on. So um, on one hand, you need to win games and 11 and 7 seems to work for them that way. But if you can manage to win games going 12 and 6, uh, I think you need to think about doing that too. Just, just because, you know, it's a grind going all the way to the, to the cup final and and trying to win it. Um, But I'm glad I don't have to make that decision that's left up to Jay. (laughs) Um, I thought Broberg has played well when he's, when he's been out there. Uh, I haven't really seen much to, to criticize in in his game at all. He's been kind of the prototypical seventh defenseman where you don't really notice him, And I think that's exactly what you want. So I'd have a hard time pulling him from the lineup because I just don't see, you know, glaring deficiencies in his game that say, yeah, he's got to come out.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and just to continue on the theme of scoring depth, uh, since trailing 3-0 after the first period of Game 4, nine different Oilers have contributed for 16 goals. So even though Dreisaitl and McDavid had double-digit point totals in the series against the Kings, the Oilers were getting contributions from throughout the lineup. There's a, other than Dreisaitl and McDavid, who could you see having a big impact in the series against the Golden Knights? Uh,
2: it, I think it's time that Nuja uh, you know, entered the playoffs. Um, he, he's been really quiet and he still possesses that lethally accurate uh, wrist shot. And uh, I think he'll start to put his stamp on, on the playoffs here so I could see him starting to break out.
0: And Dash, who's your pick for round two to kind of step up their game here?
1: Yeah, Nuge is the easy answer. Uh, we haven't seen or or heard from Nuge what we saw in the regular season. Um, you know, the power play is obviously still running through his hands and picking up few points that way. Um, you know, I I think I'd like to see Cece and Nurse as a mm-hmm. pairing. Um, potentially pick up their game a little bit. They they may you know potentially worry me more than anyone else. I like Nurse's game. Cece's got me a bit bothered.
0: Yeah, I mean, Cece only scored once this year, and it was in the second game of the season. So it would be great for him to break through and get one. He, of course, had the the series winning goal against the Kings a year ago, but uh, that would be a good pick. Uh, you know, I, I I went with Ryan McLeod for my uh, my breakthrough guy in the first round, and he had three assists in six games, but um I would love to see him get a goal in this series uh just to be different I'll I'll say him but Ryan Nugent Hopkins is is the one that I would probably tend to agree with you guys on this four assists in six games not bad at all but you know after putting up 100 points in the regular season having the best year of his life uh you'd like to see him kind of take that next step and start burying a couple and I think that he will because they're not going up at Against as stingy of a defensive team as the Kings were, so if Vegas wants to get into a track meet with the Oilers and play end to end it's uh it's gonna probably go in the Oilers favor uh and uh just to wrap up the show now, uh, I want to get some predictions from you so Drysidel and McDavid tallied eleven and ten points respectively in six games against the Kings. And while they are among the league leaders in scoring, I expect their numbers will still go up from here. I want to know how many points do you think Dryside Olympic David will each have against the Golden Knights? And just the final question for you is, who are you picking to win the series and in how many games? Uh, Dash, you go ahead.
1: I'm going to answer them in reverse order because I think chronologically it makes more sense to do so. I got the Oilers in five. I think um, they're going to it's it's i think it's going to be an easier series than the kings and i'm pretty confident in that i think that because of the road team that we've been all year we can go into vegas and win the first two games we come out of there up to nothing and maybe just let our foot off the gas a little bit um coming home maybe a little intimidated by the crowd and a bit of pressure lose game three um, get your shit back together, win game four, and then once you got your eye on the prize for game five, it's over. Um, given it's a short series, I, you know, I, I think these guys keep the same clip that they're on. Ultimately, there's probably going to be, you know, anywhere from 1.5 to two points per game for each of them. So let's call it eight points for Dry Seidel and nine for McDavid.
0: Okay. And uh, Dursa, what are your predictions for McDavid and Drysaitel, as well as the Oilers in this series?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna say Connor gets uh, shot out of a cannon and, and goes for 15 points, and wow. uh, and Leon has has a dozen. Um, I think there's gonna be lots of goals scored in this series, but I think it's gonna be a little bit tougher than what some people are thinking. I think we win in six. Um, hopefully it's sooner it's quicker than that because I, I think having rest going into the Western Conference final uh, would be uh, a blessing for these guys. Um, but I just there's a part of me that's a little bit nervous that you know you you know that it's gonna be a different style of game against Vegas than it was LA. I agree with Dash in the sense that I think it's going to be a little bit easier of a series, but I don't think it, it shortens the amount of games. I just think some of the games get pretty lopsided. But uh, I don't think puck luck is always going to be on our side throughout the series. Like it, 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 it wasn't in the in the first series against LA. Um, really, it took till later on in the series before we started to seem like we got any bounces. Um, I think in this series it's a little bit more even that way. But I think Vegas finds a way to win. Two games
0: and it goes six yeah i'm the same as you i'm going oilers in six as well and i just doing some quick math on the fly here 15 points in six games would be two and a half points per game so uh if, if you're saying mcdavid is going to be shot out of a cannon that sounds a lot like it um i'm going to go with 13 <laughs> points for, third, I'll, I'll say 13 for mcdavid 12 for dry saddle which are still you know both over two points per game uh and uh like I said, Oilers and six. Uh I'm hoping that uh as we've seen over the last five years, Oilers fans will fill that building. I'm sure that there are already a ton of people in Edmonton who have booked their uh their tickets, their plane tickets and hotels uh to get down there for game one and two, even with the the game two uh night changing now. Kind of weird at the last minute that they've done that, switching it to Saturday, but I guess they figure um uh, at first I thought it was mainly due to get the Oilers on hockey night in Canada on a Saturday night, but I think it probably has more to do with trying to up the hotel rates in, in Vegas. Uh, but yeah, so it should be a, it should be a great uh, series coming up here. I'm, I'm excited to get going tomorrow night and just want to thank you guys again for being on the show. I know you had double duty tonight uh, <laughs> being on two podcasts. So I appreciate you uh, taking another hour to a talk here after you just basically did the same thing with michael earlier
1: <laughs> he promised he'd pay us double
0: yeah well i mean getting you guys on on for the the, the you know two for the price of one would be worth it i'd say
1: <laughs> thanks
0: for having us yeah man Been a pleasure uh so where can people follow you before we sign off
1: go ahead Durse.
2: yeah i'm on the old twitter verse at mike dursa um you know, proud, proud member of Heavy Hockey. Um, we do our podcasts off straight off the pipe on YouTube and Facebook and Heavy Hockey's Twitter. And, yeah, we write some articles for heavyhockey.com and hang out whenever we can.
0: And, Dash, where can people find you?
1: Not far away from Durst, unfortunately, but... Uh... <laughs> Dash in the Park on Twitter, Dash in the Park on Facebook, uh, HeavyHockey.com, uh, Straight Off the Pipe on YouTube, uh, Heavy Hockey on YouTube, and if you go to check either one of those out, you would absolutely love a subscription, uh, it does mean a lot to us, it goes a long way, um, so tune into those places, and it's pretty tough to not hear my voice
0: absolutely so everyone please go give those guys a follow and subscribe to their youtube channel hey we made it through an entire show without a fight it's not over yet (laughs) i'm also surprised that dash made it through a full episode without bragging once about shutting me down in the heavy hockey showdown
1: uh you can't brag when you lose the game so you guys (laughs) you you enjoy your trophy for the year and uh reading adam's name up on your mantle there's some We'll, uh, we'll see you again next year.
0: I still think that uh, there was a missed call by Brett there on uh, uh, Jeff at, Jeff uh holding me in front of the net. and There's even a picture, I think, that Kirk took of it. So I'm going to have to take take that up with Brett the next time I have him on the show.
1: I would do that, yeah.
0: Yeah, game manager always. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good night, and uh, let's get a win tomorrow.
1: Spoilers. We got this. All
0: right. So for Durst and Dash, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.
1: It's time to get to work.